Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome on to today's episode. We're brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. All right, welcome on to this special edition of Hollinger and Duncan. John is going to turn his head to look at the camera any What's second up? now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm Great too have- fist and I got two screens going on. I was looking at the other one. <laughs> Great to have everyone joining us here on Twitch Sports as well. We're going to take a number of your questions in the chat. Our first segment that we want to talk about here, though, is just John's overall impressions of the NBA Finals so far. Lakers have a 3-1 lead now at this point after what I thought was a really awesome game on, I guess that was Tuesday now. Um, Really fantastic defensive struggle. So anything that's really stuck out to you about uh, the keys to this series and why it is that the Lakers have a 3-1 lead? It's played out largely how I expected, actually. Uh, I thought Davis was going to be the difference between these two teams, and that's pretty much played out. Uh, I thought LA would win. They're up 3-1. It looks like they're going to win. It's been competitive, right? But I would say LA certainly has the advantage. And then I think the... The story, though, from game four was that the Lakers supporting cast really was a positive and was better than Miami's supporting cast. And that's an area where Miami has to win to have a chance to win this series. But, you know, the Caldwell Popes of the world and and Rondo and Caruso and guys like that, Markeith Morris, I thought they really gave L.A. enough of a lift that it allowed LeBron and Davis to win the game for them. Yeah, one matchup that I thought the Lakers won handily in Game 4 that was a real key to the game was Duncan Robinson versus Contavious Caldwell-Pope. For sure. Caldwell-Pope, I thought, even going back to his time with the Pistons, I love the way that he chases shooters around screens. He is a perfect matchup for Duncan Robinson. And while the Lakers did seem like, okay, if he comes open off one of those handoffs, we're going to do an emergency switch late with the big, Caldwell-Pope largely didn't require that. He was able to stay with him off those multiple cuts and handoffs that are just so difficult to deal with and then in the second half he blows right by him twice uh, for a layup as well Colo Pope going by Robinson so that to me was a key matchup that the Lakers won among the supporting players yeah and I mean it's funny because anyone who watched Caldwell Pope as a younger player really thought he could become a 40% three-point shooter and really like a high-level 3 and D guy. Never quite got there, but it started to come closer to that uh, in this postseason, certainly. And it was nice that he did attempt those layups. I think we all have flashbacks to Caldwell Pope trying right-handed poster dunks and missing him in the, off the back rim. And we haven't seen him do that in this postseason. He's uh, taking it down a notch. 
Yeah, so it's funny. He's another one of these 3 and D type of guys where his value has just fluctuated so much, right? Like he turned down in 2017 as a restricted free agent. I think he turned down something like four years, 80 million or, or five years, 90 million, something like that from the Pistons. And given where the market was at that time, I actually said, yeah, maybe that was the, the right move to do that. Now that turned out to be a poor financial decision, although perhaps a, a good personal decision decision for him uh, since he's probably going to win an NBA championship but then he's been maligned these last three years by Lakers fans as making poor decisions and on the floor and then now of course he's emerged as maybe in this series their third best player so uh, these three and D guys you can see their value really fluctuate a lot depending on just how the fan base is feeling about them and what kind of a role they're in. Yeah. And I think with a lot of these guys, the real lesson is don't pay $15 million for a 3 and D guy because the guy you get for $5 million is probably 96% as good. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, that lesson will be unlearned this summer, I think, when KCP opts out of it the last year of his deal and signs somewhere in free agency. Oh, I think he'll, he'll be back with the Lakers, don't you? They got full bird rights on him. They got money. They, yeah, they have money. They have full bird rights. And there's the the clutch connection. Yes. I, I, I do wonder if the price got high enough if they'd be like you know what we can you know we're the lakers people want to come here we don't we don't need to go to like four years 60 for kcp so anything else that's really stuck out to you about these finals maybe that we may not have anticipated going in aside from the drag edge injury which we'll of course talk about momentarily the uh complete evisceration of miami zone i mean they they after game two they uh, completely abandoned have been straight man the last two games right if they played even one possession of zone uh, these last two games uh, I mean th- they with had Davis a couple in game four yeah with, with Davis he, it just it just obliterates the zone they just can't they just can't handle him out of a zone yeah, I mean, I think that uh, Miami overall has defended pretty well these last couple of games uh, with the strategy that many were arguing for teams to employ against the Lakers, but no one really successfully had, which is just for- force them to take a billion threes and really just help a ton off of their shooters. And we've seen the Lakers shoot 21 and 14 corner threes, and they've made nine corner threes in each of the last two games, which has kind of kept their offense afloat. But it's also uh, everything else uh, has been much reduced reduce for the Lakers, including the rebounding. They've done a much better job with, with the guards rebounding as well and not being in the zone, just being e- easier to block box out and just not giving up a ton at the rim. So I, I've been impressed by Miami's defense, particularly in game three without Bam. Uh, but the problem is they haven't been able to score against this Lakers defense. Exactly. And the Lakers defense has been the story of every round, right? That's why they're 15 and four in the postseason right now. Lillard was the huge threat coming in, right? They shut him down. Then it's the Rockets, five out, small ball. They shut that down. Uh, Denver, Jokic and Murray, completely different look. They shut that down. And now they're doing the same thing to Miami, who it's weird. You know, I wrote about this a little for The Athletic, this distributed offensive attack where it's not one guy who's really the focal point, even though Jimmy Butler is probably more focal than other guys on that team. Uh and it's hard to guard when there are five threats or four threats who are like legitimate, like can do stuff with the ball, can create a play for somebody else, like real legitimate threats. And you can see how hard it is to to really uh, lock in on any one thing against a team like that. And, and that's been Miami's real strength. But because the Lakers don't really have a weak link on the defensive end, it's harder for Miami to pick on one 
real weakness. This one thing that they could just go at, go at, go at again and again, uh, the way they did it, say last round when it was like, okay, get a switch against Kemba, get a switch against Kemba, you know? And they, they, Lakers don't quite have anybody like that where you're just going to go right at them uh, as long as they don't play JR again. (laughs) Well, and the one thing that they did find the Heat, I mean, the Heat actually scored pretty well in games two and three, so we should give them credit for that. But Shockingly well, considering the the absences of, of the players, yeah. Totally. Yeah, and Jimmy Butler had one of the best finals games he's ever seen in Game 3, but then Anthony Davis switching on to him completely shut that off. I mean, he apparently, according to Chris Haynes, asked to guard him, but uh, whoever came up with the strategy, it was a great one because now Davis can go under, and that wasn't the failsafe with smaller guys that everyone thought it would be because once Jimmy Butler gets going, if you try to meet him on the other side of that screen by going under, he still has the advantage. But if it's Anthony Davis, all he has to do is kind of be next to him once that screen happens, and he's still going to be able to deter him at the rim so um and that brings me to our our next topic of discussion which is Goran Dragic and how much has him being out changed this series and could the Heat have won had Goran Dragic been healthy okay so I think you're really focusing on game four with this because game one Dragic played and they got killed game two they got killed again and I don't think Dragic was going to be enough to make up that that difference and game three they won right so yeah But you look at game four, you look at Kendrick Nunn went two for 12, I think, and played like 25 minutes. That's the one you kind of look at and say, we could be 2-2 right now if we had a healthy Goron. Yeah, I I think so. Because if you're going to put Davis on Butler, although part of the genius of that too was that Butler isn't really a shooter, so you can help off of him on the other guys. But yeah, I mean, the Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson shot creation, I mean, they were having to work so hard to get a shot. And guys like Caruso and KCP were doing a great job of denying them. And then, uh, you know, Kendrick Nunn, they had to play him, what, 26 minutes just to get somebody who could do something off the dribble. And yeah. that was a real struggle uh, as well for Nunn. He went two for 11. So yeah, I mean, just having one more way to attack, I mean, that could have been enough to tie this series in game four. I mean, my initial pick had been Lakers in seven. So I, I've, and, you know, the, we, they did have one half without Dragic. That one was really fluky where the Lakers, I think, hit uh, 13 out of, their, out of their first 23s. Other than that, like the game was actually pretty even, I thought, in the first half in game one um until the very end of that first quarter so or of that of that first half so yeah i think Dragic missing uh, has been huge yeah and the thing people forget jimmy butler wasn't the highest usage player in miami this year yeah goran Dragic was right like he he even though he came off the bench for much of the year like he is a big offensive piece for them even more in a lot of ways than butler and bam are so not not having him Definitely a factor. I mean, definitely could trade 96 points, right? In game four, that's the that's their low for the playoffs. Yeah, and to me, Dragic, he is the single biggest reason why the Heat are even here, if, at least if you want to compare why they are so much better than they were in the regular season when they were the fifth seed. Well, him and him and Hero. I mean, Hero has been a complete you know leap from what he was given them in, in, in January. Yeah, that's true. He Hero hurt. didn't play for two months before the end of the regular season. Yeah, and even before then, he was wasn't playing very well so uh that that's been a huge difference but then Dragic you could tell like right from the word go when he came back he just looked faster zippier younger than the guy who played in the regular season this year rockauto.com has now been servicing customers 
online for more than 20 years because they saw that the traditional auto parts store model was broken. They're definitely not going to have the part that you need out on the floor. So you go up to that desk and you ask them if they have it. And usually the answer is going to be no there too. They go into some computer system, they order it for you. And oh, hey, I'm going to come back to the store a week later when the part comes in. That doesn't make any sense at all. Instead, if you go to rockauto.com, you can get better pricing compared to chain stores which have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers and you can just enter in your make and model and year and get basically any part that you're looking for go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car and truck make sure you write locked on in there how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com built bar is back on the locked on podcast network Offering six new flavors now, including nut and non-nut flavors. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, plus their original flavors like raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, and double chocolate. Mint brownie as well. I really like mint brownie. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. These are the best tasting protein bars out there. They don't taste like they came out of a limestone quarry, yet they are still low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for a keto diet. For example, their peanut butter flavor has 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, five grams of sugar, only five grams of net carbs. And you can even get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. Make sure you use that promo code LOCKEDON for that $10 off and to let them know that you came from us. All right, let's uh, let's take a, a few questions here from the chat. This is a good one here. I, I, I like this one. Who is more likely to be in the finals next year, Miami or Golden State? Ooh. Miami or Golden State next year. I might lean Miami because I think it might be a little easier to get out of the East next year. But I mean, Miami's road back to this spot is going to be tough because they have free agents to deal with. They have, you know, Brooklyn's coming in with Kyrie and and KD and Milwaukee's going to be back and angry. Boston, you know, I mean, that was basically an even series, even though Miami won it. Uh, and, you know, Boston, Boston's guys, Tatum and Brown, are kind of on the upswing. So it's still not going to be easy for Miami to get back. Golden State, though, I just... I, I just wonder if they're ever going to be able to get back to that level they were at. Yeah, I think Golden State has the higher upside, but perhaps they're less likely to realize it. I mean, first of all, they've got this draft pick. They've got this huge trade exception. They probably have more financial resources with that $250 million line of credit. It's reported that they got uh, versus Mickey Harrison owning Carnival Cruise Lines, which is not doing too well these days. But you also have Steph Curry is 32 and Draymond and Clay. I think are both going to be 31. And so how much can you get out of those guys? If those guys are the same guys that they were in 2019, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think they got a great chance that they can get a little bit more around those guys. But if they're not, then, you know, they're not going anywhere as a team. I, I mean, I think Steph, to me, is probably the guy who's the most likely to retain his value out of that group. I would, I would agree play with that. Maybe second most. Draymond, I mean, he was so bad this year. Can he get it together just for the playoffs? You know, I mean, we're not really going to have the answer to that until next playoffs. You know, whatever, that's going to be July, August of 2021. Yeah, by which time he'll be how old? Actually, all of them, really. Yeah, I mean, they're, right, exactly. they're, You know, they're 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 kind of running uphill now in terms of the age battle, and uh, you know, you still have. I mean, I guess Andrew Wiggins is the other wild card, but I, I don't really have a lot of 
faith in him delivering at a high level. Oh, this is cool. Uh, NBA Sanders, I made an account just to talk to you guys. His question is, is it harder to play a one-way offense player or a one-way defense player in the playoffs? I think it's harder to play a one-way defense guy. I, th- I, think, I agree with you. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I just go back and look at our playoff runs and... <laughs> We had, I mean, obviously there was that Golden State series and Tony's hamstring was injured too. Um, But I mean, even though like we had the best defensive player in the league and it was still like a question of like, okay, can we put him on the court in these situations and how do we do it? And where, you know, where can we hide him and whatnot? Whereas, you know, a year or two later, we had Troy Daniels on our team who was, you know, all offense and he wasn't as good a player and didn't have a significant role. But in that playoff series against San Antonio, as the series went on, we kept on playing him more. Just it was like it was easy to put him out there because they had to guard him and it wouldn't mess anything up. And then Mike Conley would have tons of room to do what he was doing. And um and and especially if the other team is kind of locked in on a lot of iso play which San Antonio was in that series um really didn't pay the price defensively that you might think now it depends too though cuz if if the no defense guy if they keep hunting him down in switches then it gets tough but if they're not doing that you you can kind of get away with the no defense guy a little more easily yeah, and particularly when it's not at the very end of the game, uh, you know, teams don't nece- or the very end of a series, teams don't necessarily focus in like that uh, until the end. The two things that I would say in support of your point, which I completely agree with. Number one is I think the worst offensive players are worse on offense than the bad defensive players are bad on defense. There's only so bad that you can be on defense. Be like you're still there. You're still a body, right? The worst offensive players, I mean, they just can't literally can't do anything, right? Like if you had the worst offensive player go up against the worst defensive player, uh, you know, in like a game of one on one or something, you still would probably have the worst offensive player less likely to score uh, I would say and then the other thing that I would note as well is there are just so many fewer things you can do to hide a bad offensive player than hide a bad defensive player like you can there's no such thing as oh we're gonna help you make this shot right on defense okay we can bring help behind you we can just say hey you're gonna force him this way into the help like there's a lot of things that you can do where you're not just gonna be on an island whereas on offense you're just gonna be left on an island right like you, you can't shoot you're not going to get guarded. And I, I think the underlying point is that if you can play a scheme at least somewhat and try at least a little bit, right? Because a lot of the bad defensive players are bad from, from bad effort, which tends to go away a little bit in a playoff scenario. Um, I'm not going to say it goes away completely, but uh, so if, if, if you can at least try a little bit and, and play something of a scheme, then that limits somewhat the destruction you're able to do at the defensive end let's move on though to our next subject one near and dear to so many people's hearts i would imagine who you got for finals mvp right now mr hollinger and uh i encourage you guys in the chat as well to uh give us your picks uh i think uh uh myers leonard emotional boost with the uh fist pumping from the bench (laughs) i think has been the difference No, I it's it's down to two people, obviously, but I, I lean Davis. I just think I know he was awful in game three, but he was so dominant in game two. Uh, he took Miami out of their out of their zone, which had given other teams so many problems. Uh, I think on balance over the four games, he's been more of a of a winning factor. And you saw it again in game four when he switched on to Jimmy Butler after LeBron 
had a lot of trouble with him in game three, although he was switching out of the matchup was part of the problem, I guess. Uh, so I would, I would go Davis right now. Yeah, I think I would too, because game one, I thought he was awesome uh, on defense. Like some of the plays that he made challenging shots in the mid-range, you could tell that Miami just was not prepared for that level of length and athleticism. He had an awesome offensive game in that game as well. And then he goes 14 out of 15 on his his first 15 shots in game two, going completely crazy, got him out of the zone. And then he was the best defensive player again. Like, I mean, Jimmy Butler had one of the greatest finals games. They could not stop him at all. He goes crazy in the first quarter quarter of game one as well and then davis gets locked in and completely shuts him down and shuts the heat down and so i think what he is doing is has mattered a little bit more than what james is doing who do you think will win finals mvp though uh, i mean do, do we need to have a discussion that. about narrative and finals mvps awards uh i i think i i think davis will win i i i just i just think enough people see what's happening that that he will it'll overcome the sentimentality and he'll get it I mean, obviously, it depends what happens in game five and if there's a game six or seven. Uh, but I, I do expect Davis to win it. Yeah, that'll be. I mean, certainly, I think the tie will go to LeBron because yes. he and particularly with his carping in the media about how he should have won the uh, the regular season MVP, which he shouldn't have, by the way. That should which have he should not have won. Correct. Award. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's. Uh, and also the idea of him chasing Jordan and how he almost kind of put this team together and even got Anthony Davis to come to LA and all that stuff. I think if it's at all close, I expect most people to vote for LeBron, even though obviously that wouldn't be my pick. But obviously if LeBron is a good game five and they win and Davis doesn't, then that could maybe change things a little bit. And also just generally, I don't think that most people value defense enough. So that's another reason why I think it will be LeBron pending. Points per game baby doesn't davis have more points per game than yeah davis has more though yeah i know (laughs) so and and i mean i I don't think that i think that lebron has been the more important offensive player for them for sure uh you know davis has still been more of a play finisher particularly because miami has done such a great job of preventing him from doing anything one-on-one after uh game two yeah and he needs to do a little better reading those doubles yeah or i mean but they can't even get the ball to him frankly like yeah, fronting yeah, him they got yeah. um and he could work a little bit harder for position but i mean he still had 22 points uh, m- working mostly just off of others at that point um so let's uh let's change up here yeah get a lot of people in the chat saying uh, mostly ad um uh as uh, their finals mvp pick but who would be your overall playoffs MVP. I mean, I guess it comes down to the same two guys, right? Yeah, and I think LeBron might have a little bit more of a case there. Um, played a pretty big role in that Houston series, especially. Um, I mean, Davis was a big factor there, too. It's it's tough. I mean, the two of that, I mean, they've been the two best players in the playoffs, right? Um, but I, it's a little easier for me to go with LeBron as an overall playoffs MVP. I just think he's had more kind of impactful offensive moments. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking back, you know, it was really good in that Denver series. Um, yeah, so I, I would five, go with LeBron. Game five against Denver was uh, one of his really memorable performances, the way he just single-handedly closed them out in game five. The way he guarded Jamal Murray at the end of game four it was really impressive as well. And I don't think Davis actually was quite as good guarding Jokic necessarily. Um, no, I mean, Jokic had the big bucket over him on, in game two. I mean, Davis came back and made the game winner, but, uh, you, you know, dude, I mean, you, you, Jokic was able to do some stuff against him. 
yeah but uh, that said i mean davis was still awesome in that series too and he did have that game winner which uh, you know is, is really important that could have really changed that series let's uh let's do a all nba first team for the playoffs regardless of position lebron and davis are already on there for sure i'm guessing who yes. would round out your group okay so i think jimmy butler and nikola Jokic have to be there so the question is who's the fifth guy on that team for me um uh, jamal murray would have to get i mean jamal murray i think you can make a strong case for uh i mean Kawhi leonard was still really good i know it was was disappointing and everything how it ended but like through the first 10 playoff games like he was freaking awesome and it's hard for me to just completely dismiss that um can you put donovan mitchell on there for seven games (laughs) i don't think i mean it's really tough for me to do someone who did not make it out of the second round yeah and and Kawhi, Kawhi was a big part of why they lost in the end uh he definitely ran out of gas which yeah maybe somewhat understandable but uh, he did like he was awful in in game seven and i I also think that his lack of leadership on that team is something that may have hurt them as well yeah i mean definitely a different kind of different kind of leader and in toronto you had kyle lowry so it probably didn't become as much of a factor uh as it has with the clippers where where paul george is a little more like that too he's a little more uh uh more of a reserve guy and not not kind of the rah-rah pump him up guy so yeah it's it i mean it's a really interesting story what's happened with the clippers i don't think any of us expected this right uh we i think we both thought they'd be in, playing in the finals right now yeah no uh I- I certainly did. Uh, although, you know, obviously, as that Denver series ran along, it, you were, it became more concerned about them. Yeah, I think I would have to go with Murray. That, that would be my pick. I, I think. I mean, the, Jason Tatum might be the, the other one, or uh, or Dragic. Yeah. I mean, those would probably be the other contenders. But I think Murray. Oh, would... uh, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, what about Bam Adebayo? Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, probably kind of probably shouldn't dismiss him so easily, huh? Yeah, I mean, who he was better than Butler in that Celtics series, so mm-hmm. um, yeah, probably would have to be out of bio. I would say then, yeah. I mean, they basically won Welcome the series right. because of that block in Game One, too, right? Because if not for that, it's three three, and then going to Game Seven, who knows? Yeah, that was a, well, that that would have just tied the game, but and sent it into another overtime. But yeah, that was uh, that was you're a destroying my play. narrative. <laughs> um, yeah, let's see it. See if they got any interesting comments uh, on that one, uh, Gore was probably not good enough but he's been at all-star level uh yeah I, I mean i think that's probably true you know it's at some point you also have to acknowledge that some guys just didn't have the team around them and that's why they weren't able to uh, yeah get to this point just because they didn't play enough games um yeah a lot of good ah oh, this, this is a good comment here uh a lot of really good performances from big men and front court players in these playoffs that's a, an interesting thought that maybe we should hit on a little bit more of just whether this is like the resurgence of the big band now in these playoffs well let's see i mean we certainly had it with davis we had the lakers i mean they were playing two bigs for a lot of the playoffs although they they've gone away from it now in the finals pretty much uh we had bam uh we had uh Jokic, right who's outstanding uh your guy Plumley, right no oh man <laughs> <laughs> right, right, it, right. When Nate got up, I dropped the Plumley line. <laughs> yeah, my so, uh, my my cooler started running. I forgot to turn it off before. Oh, I okay. 
but uh yeah that's uh it's a really good point and perhaps there is uh, now the thing that i would say about all those big men other than Jokic, is their versatility defensively right i mean that's bam and ad are probably the two most versatile defensive big men in the game today yeah, and that's why, I mean, we're talking about big men, but we're only ever talking about one of them on the court at a time, pretty much. So uh, it's just as each each playoff round, you know, gets harder to keep those those traditional fives out on the court. We see it every year, and it yeah. seems, seems to only accelerate. The Lakers completely abandoned Dwight Howard by the second half, and JaVale McGee is— Well, JaVale McGee started, six, started 68 games for them, right? right? And he hasn't even played. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, the one that was surprising to me, though, was Jokic. And he, just because I thought that because of his defensive limitations, that Denver wouldn't be able to defend well enough. Well, they were also awesome uh, on offense. Yeah, and, and they were you know, not they, able to defend well enough through four games. And then all of a sudden, they they just found it. It was, it was very odd. Yeah. Well, and even four games of the Clippers series as well. Yeah, both and, times. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's see if we got one more question here before we move on to our next subject. Um, let's see here. I should have had one ready to go. Ah, here we go. Who would you want as the Rockets coach that they have been kind of out of the news here on, on the coaching front right now? Uh, what's the minimum wage again Yeah, in Texas? And, and will John Lucas coach for it? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you have a very unique roster there, and you're not going to be able to go backwards, I think. So it has to be somebody who's very comfortable coaching a very open game, right? And that one that goes through Harden and Westbrook, and you're playing, like, tactically, they are locked into what they're doing. And uh, so it really constrains you, I think, as far as what you're going to do on the on the coaching side too. There's only so much creativity you can have with that team right now, uh, just the way they're constructed. Uh, I would really focus on somebody who can get the most out of that group defensively, because offensively, you, you know what you're going to do no matter who's coaching the team, right? Like there's there's only so many little little tweaks and and whatever you can put in at the end of the day everything's running through Harden and then everything that doesn't run through Harden is going through Russ right so yeah uh, somebody with really good defensive chops I think would would be the number one thing I'd be looking for and then obviously somebody who just you know you're looking for leadership the ability to get the best players to buy in uh, you know all the usual stuff there uh, I, I do wonder about Sam Cassell um, I've always thought about him as a coach because he was such a smart player and such a vocal player. Um, I'm, I'm, I'd be really interested to see what he's like as a head coach. Well, you say he's a vocal player. I think the number one criterion I'm looking for as a Rockets coach is somebody who can get through to James Harden and Russell Westbrook and get them to do stuff. A lot of that is defensively. And I thought actually Harden had one of his best defensive efforts in these playoffs, particularly in the OKC series after about uh, starting about game five, uh, mm-hmm. after he got torched by, by Chris Paul, partially because he was in foul trouble. So uh, that's the thing, right? Like Russell Westbrook, can they, I mean, they're going to have to find a way to get him to defend better. Um, it, 
I mean, also just someone who can maybe like help Russell Westbrook rediscover his jump shot again. I mean, that's one of the weirdest yeah. things how he just he came and make a 15 footer anymore. Like it's made him it's, you know, like, he, like a center can guard him now effectively. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and maybe he'll be better once, you know, he's not coming back from COVID-19 and injured, you would hope. But still, I, I think that's really the biggest thing is just overall leadership and getting those guys to buy in and being a little bit more of a taskmaster defensively perhaps yeah i i I agree with all those things and it's just it's interesting to me what happens guy like i saw they interviewed ty lu obviously he'd be a great hire i just at the end of the day i can't see them shelling out the eight million i I can't see them doing it with with how uh with how they've operated this franchise since tilmer fertita took over so here's one that that will play to your expertise Uh, um all right this is uh Gruntesque. <laughs> Could Dave Yeager make Indiana play faster, and would that be good if he were hired in Indiana? Uh, it's interesting because his instincts as a coach with uh, with us in his first year in Sacramento were to play really slow, and then he opened the floodgates his last year in Sacramento uh, with you know with Fox and re- and really revved up the tempo. So I, I, the honest answer is I I, I don't really know. Um, and would that be desirable for Indiana to play a lot faster? Like, do they have really like the personnel to burn it up and down the floor? Uh, I mean, if Oladipo's there, maybe, but like they played really fast when they had Oladipo and Collison, but when it's like Oladipo, Brogdon, and then you got Sabonis, Turner, Warren, like that doesn't, that doesn't scream out like running gun to me. That's like more a half court execution team. Yeah, this is something you've talked about a lot that uh, going back to your first ESPN stint that I have internalized is if you don't have that traditional point guard, you know, a lot of times they'll be like, oh, play some bigger guys. Don't play with the traditional point guard. And, And Brogdon was okay in that role. But the biggest thing you sacrifice there is the fast break. And yeah. they don't really have that guy who's just going to push the ball down your throat, the guy who's going to do those quick hit-ahead passes as well to really get them into stuff. So, I mean, I think it would be good for them to play faster. McMillan's teams usually play relatively slowly. Um, and Jaeger deserves a lot of credit for what he did in Sacramento. I asked him about it once, and he said, well, I basically just screamed myself hoarse every single time we're bringing the ball up to, to run. That was his yeah. – because uh, I asked him, like, how, like, what are the mechanics of actually – getting a team to run faster and that's what he said but yeah i'm not sure that that's necessarily like who he is as a coach in the way that it is with mike d'antoni so i i would love d'antoni there i think it's just a question of whether they're going to pony up the cash i i think d'antoni could add a lot to miles turner get some more spacing out for the drives of brockton and oladipo yeah definitely definitely i i that would be a really interesting hire and be really interesting to see if that happens just because it'd been kind of rumored in the grapevine for for several months so we'll, we'll see what happens there yeah i mean that always seemed like it might be like kind of a leverage play though just because i just i don't see the indiana pacers playing five million or more a year for a coach like that just doesn't see us particularly when they guaranteed mcmillan and then immediately fired him so now you're paying two coaches yeah yeah that 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 whole part was interesting wasn't it <laughs> so uh i I I would not be totally floored actually. I I let me put it to you this way. I think it's more likely Indiana hires D'Antoni than Houston hires Ty Lue. Yeah, that, I think that's uh, <laughs> yeah because Ty Lue is gonna want some cash as well. I mean, and, and that'll be interesting. I, I mean, he's been talked about like he's potentially the front runner with the Clippers. 
Have you ever found yourself waking up like two hours before you want to? Maybe your back's a little bit sore when you wake up and it takes a while to kind of work out the kinks. Maybe you're just getting way too hot when you sleep. Maybe your mattress is too soft or too firm. Well, maybe you have one of those one-size-fits-all mattresses. Or maybe you have a hand-me-down mattress from your parents' house. How about trying just a two-minute sleep quiz with Helix Sleep that will match your body type and your sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you? They are the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ, Wired Magazine, and Apartment Therapy. Just go to helixsleep.com slash PER, which John invented. Easy to remember that slash PER. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They even have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights, risk-free. They'll pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you're going to because it's made for you. Right now, they are offering up to $200 off of all mattress orders. Get up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash PR. That's helixsleep.com slash PR. Don't forget that slash PR to let them know that you came from us. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new SiriusXM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. So let's move on here. We got more to talk about. And John and I both are salary cap experts. We follow things very closely with that and with now very likely the tax is going to be lower than anticipated this was not a big cap space year anyway we want to talk about which contracts are most likely to get dumped this offseason we'll say over the next year going through the trade deadline whether Mm -hmm. that's because teams want to open up 2021 cap space or perhaps more likely just to dodge the tax in 2021 or even open up space to use the full mid-level exception while staying under the tax which i think the you know reduction in the projected cap for this year we're going to say it's it's going to be about 109 rather than the 115 they thought it would be yeah before this so uh, let's just talk in general uh here uh, about some of the types of teams that might be looking to dump these contracts uh, and uh the uh the overall economic situation in the league right now yeah i mean number one i think you have the taxpayers right they're, they're the ones who have the most incentive especially the teams who are kind of deep in the tax uh so you look at a team like boston right and it's Cantor, he's probably gonna opt in five million he's gonna play like eight minutes a game uh Vincent at least in the playoffs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vincent Poirier. Uh, hope I did that right for all the Frenchmen out there. Uh, you know, 2.6 million, he's never going to play. Like, they got to get rid of that contract. Um, you look at Brooklyn. Uh, could they do something with Torian Prince, who's making 12 million and p- pays the same position as Kevin Durant? And, you know, you kind of look back at that and say, did, did they really need to do that extension? <laughs> like, what, what was going on there? Um, I... 
I think, uh, you know, I don't know if they're quite in salary dumping situation, but Denver's in an interesting situation. They don't have that much room from the tax line. I don't think they're going to pay the tax. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a contract that gets, quote unquote, dumped as much as traded, but Gary Harris at $19 million, uh, I think that's definitely something that they would like to convert into something different, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so th- th- that's that's one that you certainly have your eye on. I think Golden State, I think Kevon Looney at 4.8 is probably a luxury they cannot afford right now. Uh, so I think I think that one is really interesting. Uh, the contract that will not be dumped, even though they would probably like to, is the uh, Houston Rockets Eric Gordon extension, right? Uh, $55 million guaranteed over the next three years. Uh, and they're right at the tax line once again. They really painted themselves into a corner needlessly with that deal. Uh, I think that was a big mistake they would like to have back. Um, so I guess those are those are probably the main ones for me. I, I hope I uh, I think I got to everyone there. I might have missed I might have missed one or two. But who do you have Who do you have on your list? Well, well, first uh, before I get to that, I just want to kind of remind people of how the tax works, what the overall situation is in the league. So the first five million dollars that you are over the luxury tax line, you have to pay to the league a dollar fifty for five million to ten million over the the luxury tax line. It goes up to a dollar seventy five. Then when you're 10 to 15 million over every dollar is 250 and then once you get over 15 where which is a territory you very rarely see teams enter you're paying 325 in addition to every dollar so basically if you give out a 1 million dollar contract that takes you from 15 to 16 million dollars over the luxury tax you're actually paying over 4 million dollars for that player and that becomes very difficult to stomach for most owners and so you'll see okay if you're going to make a move like that generally it starts to make more sense to either pay a team in cash to take someone or even in assets or draft picks going forward so uh you mentioned boston i mean we can kind of dive into their situation a little bit more deeply uh we imagine that Cantor will opt in we imagine that gordon hayward opts into his 34 million they also have picks 14 26 and 30 in this draft and you throw all that in and they're at 17 roster slots which is obviously you can only take 15 in Mm -hmm. and then they're at 17 million dollars over the tax and that would be a luxury tax payment to the league in addition to that of 37 million and their overall team salary plus tax would be 187 million so clearly you know if you dump someone like Poirier 2.6 million that saves you basically 10 million dollars to dump someone like that so that's why those incentives are there to do that so i guess my question to you john is yeah poirier certainly seems likely um Cantor certainly seems likely just to get the those eight million and and this is even without using the mini mid-level exception of five million or so to sign other players who you might actually need or if they wanted to make a trade where they wanted to take on a little bit of salary as well i mean that's something else to consider um what do you think happens with those three draft picks because to me the idea of them using all three of those both simply from a roster spot standpoint when you're trying they to can't. contend yeah you can't do yeah. it yeah yeah i so i actually wrote about this for the athletic today um i i don't think they're going to end up using any of those th- three picks i think the, the ideal scenario for them is that they trade the 14th pick for a future first maybe maybe one that hits next year or the year after uh they select an overseas player at 26 like leandro balmaro let's say uh, and then they take the 30th pick, Cantor and Poirier, and trade that for a second round pick, like maybe like 48 or something. Why do you do that? Uh, because then the second round pick, you can pay the, 
the minimum, the rookie minimum, which is letter less than the veteran minimum. So that savings, along with the tax, uh, basically gets tripled uh, at the level of, of tax they're probably looking at. I, th- I think if they do those things, it, that opens a few roster spots for them. Uh, let's them probably keep their roster at 14 all year. Let's them maybe use their taxpayer mid-level to sign another guard, which I think they probably ought to do. Um, and with, without their tax situation getting crazy and gives them enough fe- flexibility to fight another day in terms of if there's a really juicy deal that comes along, they still are sitting on picks then because they've traded, uh, you know, they've traded 14 for a future first. Uh, and, and so they can still bring that into a deal uh, to, to sweeten the pot if, if somebody truly uh, difference making becomes available. So I think in, in the absence of like something awesome that's sitting on their plate waiting for them trade wise, I think that's the way for them to play their hand. I agree with you there, uh, for sure. I, I, I think that that's something that they're going to have to do now. And the other problem, too, is if you use those picks, you say, oh, well, why don't you just trade the players there? Well, they really suffer from the driving the new car off the lot totally. syndrome yeah. at that point. Yeah. I mean, 26 and 30, are. I mean, there's no way those guys are going to play next year. So their value, whoever it is, their value is going to go down. I mean, unless someone is like really watching the main red claws closely. Uh, <laughs> exactly. To say, hey, we really, we really want this guy. He looks good in the G League. And obviously, when you're trading a pick, you get more value for it, unless the guy really hits and turns out great, which he's not going to, or at least won't be apparent that he's going to, since the guy's not playing for them. So teams want to be able to pick their own guy at 26 and 30, not the guy that you decided to pick. And then six months later, you decided to trade. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Trading a draft pick within the first year of your drafting him is extremely difficult. Uh, you're you're going to get maybe not pennies on the dollar, but you're, you're looking to 50, 60 cents on the dollar. Um, so you mentioned Brooklyn. Let's uh, let's turn to their situation. Uh, I guess one more thing on the Celtics too. Trading for future draft picks might be difficult because this is considered a bad draft. Twenty twenty one is considered awesome. Twenty twenty two could still potentially be the double draft. Although I'm guessing they're probably going to push that back with all the the COVID turmoil to twenty twenty three now at this point because teams will need like a mechanism to start scouting high school players to actually know who they want to pick in that draft when high school players become eligible. But even so, it seems like, and now you can't even really get as good of a look at these guys as you want to in the pre-draft process. It seems like this might be the least valuable draft ever. Wow. Least valuable draft ever. I I thought that was last year's lottery after the second pick. (laughs) Well, like people liked people in that draft, though. (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, No, I mean... uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a great draft at the top. I actually think it's an okay draft at like 14. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if I'd quite go that far with it, but there's definitely more excitement about next year's draft. I mean, they might have to, it depends on the team. The, the thing about trading for a future pick is you don't know where it's going to fall, right? You have to accept some level of variance with that. And so you're probably looking at trading, you know, trading with like a mid-tier team for like a top 10 protected pick and then, you know, hoping you end up roughly in the same spot. Um, so let's talk about Brooklyn here. You, you mentioned then they also are going to have a, a large tax payment. And you, you mentioned Torian Prince as someone that they could try to move. Karis LeVert, I think they want to keep him, but also how well he fits with Kyrie and Spencer Dinwiddie and Kevin Durant. Do you really need all four of those guys as shot creators? Maybe they'd want to get someone else. Um, I mean, if they were sane, they'd want to just dump DeAndre Jordan and his uh, $10 million this year and basically $10 million a year the next two years. 
years, but they can't do that because KD and Kyrie yeah. Irving wanted to play with them. And because DeAndre has really to good. start ahead <laughs> of Jared Allen, right? <laughs> um, although, in fairness, KD and Kyrie did give up a bunch of money so they could sign him and pay him a lot of money. So that's, they clearly would not be happy if he gets moved. Uh, yeah, you know, and the Nets do have their draft picks going forward here. Prince is only, has two more years at basically $13 million a year. I, I mean, I think they would want to see how he looks playing next to all these guys first. Like, they obviously believed in him to some extent. We didn't get to see him in the bubble at all due to his COVID analysis. But you, you believe that that's like a really bad deal for him at $13 million a year for two years? Well... I mean, he wasn't he wasn't good in Atlanta before they acquired him. He wasn't good for them last year, and I just don't see how he's going to play a major role unless Durant gets hurt again. Um, I I do think in general with a team like this, you probably want to see how it looks with everybody before you start moving too many pieces around. Because again, you you have until the trade deadline to get yourself under. So you you don't necessarily have to do it right now. The thing in Brooklyn's case, the best thing they have to trade to get themselves under is the 19th pick in the draft this year. So do they use that? Uh, and, and even if it's not a question of getting themselves under the tax, it's just a question of saving themselves a bunch of money so they can maybe sign some other players, maybe use their full full mid-level and still spend up to the apron where they're over the tax, but... but um, but get themselves another player that way. So in, ter- in terms of optionality, I think doing something with Prince would be helpful for them. But I don't know. There's a, It's tough, though, if you're a GM, right? Like if you sign this deal a year ago and then you're going to turn around and give up a first to get rid of it. I, I don't think that looks really good at City Hall. So I now now I'm wondering, I think I, as I think about that element of it, they probably go to the trade deadline before they do something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine we'll see some of these dumping ground trades done that way because you also then I mean the actual cash that you're playing paying players is more important than ever with the uncertain economic situation and so if you've paid a guy's salary for two-thirds of the year and then you trade him it's a lot easier to get away with that it seems like to me um but yeah I mean they're oh, looking yeah, at a math yeah. attack yeah go ahead sorry yeah I mean that's the math that um like Houston you used that the last couple of years where they pay a guy for two-thirds of the year then pay somebody to take his salary so he doesn't count against their tax um, well, so having worked with the team, I wanted to ask you about this of what does it look like in terms of just the profit standpoint, right? Like it's not even necessarily we're, uh, we're talking about the tax, but some teams might not even want to spend that much above the cap for this uncertain economic situation. You know, what are some of the variables that we should be considering as the league and the Players Association are trying to negotiate this here that could determine how willing teams are to spend a little bit more as a result of that negotiation? Yeah, you know, it's tough because it, it's always... The whole time I was there, sort of the unwritten rule in most front offices was that you could spend up to the tax line and that was pretty much okay. And I, I just don't know where the belt tightening is going to be this year. If owners are still going to be okay with that or if they're going to, you know, if some of them are going to be more worried about short-term cash flow situations and try to keep teams closer to the, you know, closer to the actual salary cap. I, I just don't know yet how, I don't think even some of these teams know yet how exactly that part is going to play out. That's the toughest part of this whole thing to read is whether teams are going to be out there who are either actively cutting money or not willing to take on any money, even though they could. And part of that too is just what is the nature of the deal with the Players Association and how Absolutely. is that going to affect 
certain teams like the the escrow situation whatever they agree on with that where the players get a certain amount of their salary withheld put into escrow and then if revenues don't match up with that then the owners get to keep it to maintain essentially the 50 50 revenue balance that's going to be a a huge question as well because if teams feel like there isn't enough escrow then if you spend more and revenue isn't what you want it to be particularly with fans in the building uh then that becomes a, a major issue as well i mean i think the risk if that escrow percentage ends up not being because like for example adam silver said fans are 40 percent of our revenue right let's say they only agree to a 20 percent escrow and then you end up really not having any fans for all of next year now these teams yeah. have taken a huge risk from a, a year-to-year profit standpoint absolutely yeah yeah and there's only so much of that they can i mean there are mechanisms in the cba to claw that back a year later but it's you know it's it's delayed cash flow again and and so some ownership groups are more capable of dealing with that than others. So we're we they, it's the great unknown, I think, because we've we've always benefited in the league from having having a very tight window of uncertainty, and and that's kind of been blown up. Yeah, so in the chat too, we'd like to hear your suggestions. We'll talk about it in a second here of the most likely contracts to get dumped or, or ask if you uh, if you think your least favorite player on your team is going to get dumped. We'll tell you whether he's going to <laughs> or not. Yeah. Um, a, a few others that stick out to me are on teams that are going to be trying to avoid the tax and still use the full mid-level exception. Uh, Ed Davis really pops out as one to me. Yes. On Utah there, he's out yes. of the rotation. He's due $5 million this year. And if they want to re-sign Jordan Clarkson, they may even be close to the tax there. And they'll just want to have some more maneuvering room to maybe sign some low-level guys as well. That That's a big one. And what do you, what do you think the price is if you just want to dump Ed Davis? Um, you know, five million is that? Yeah, be you should be able to do that. Year? You should you should be able to do that with seconds. I, I don't think you have to give up. I mean, that'd be crazy to give up a first round pick just to dump five million, especially when you're already not in the tax. I, yeah. like, I can't and if see you that. can pay the if you can pay essentially pay his salary. Yeah, that's well the other thing. Cash. You have the ability to put cash in trades, and you can pay two thirds of that just with the cash. So now there's still there's still the value to the other team of they have to put it on their cap, and especially if I mean if they're a room team, which they kind of have to be or have an exception, um, you know they they have to use that to take him in. So. Uh, that th- there's that angle too, even if they put the cash in. But then the other angle of it is, could you also do something where you trade Ed Davis and like a couple of their minimum guys and a first and get like a $10 million player who's actually good? Actually good players. Yes, that is that is something that they should be, should be looking for. Yeah, they, yeah it's, they should do more deals like this. that. Get good players. Yeah, yeah in, instead of the straight dump. And that, that may be easier uh, for teams like that. But if the Jazz want to open up some more, space outside of Clarkson uh, then that, that's a, a a consideration there as well how about I mean uh, we we actually yeah. had a similar situation to that now that I think about it because we yeah. had we had Ben McLemore at almost the exact same number and what we could have done is just paid somebody to take him what we didn't said was uh added uh Deontay Davis and uh I can't even remember if we did Garrett one or Temple, two seconds. Right? Yeah, and got Garrett Temple back, exactly. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good trade for you guys, actually. I mean, because, I mean, yeah, historically, you know, it's a second, two seconds to dump someone in that five to seven million range. But yeah, yeah to get some back to someone who can play a little bit uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the type of trade that a lot of teams will, will be trying to do. You're right. Um, how about uh, Rodney Magruder for the Clippers? 
Yeah, I I mean, he had no role this year at all. You have Kawhi and PG and probably Morris coming back too at the small forward spot. Uh, I, I think that's one they need to move on move on from. Yeah, and there now Balmer has plenty of money, obviously, but there's no reason to go into the tax and start your repeater tax clock for, oh, I guess they're going to be in the tax regardless though, aren't they? If they bring back Mantra's Harold. If they don't bring they back bring Mantra's Harold. They bring back Harold, I mean, Harold... Morris and the full mid-level, like they can do two of the three, um, but they can't do all three, right? And uh, yeah, that's that's going to be... T- I mean, I think it's easier to not bring back Harold now that they made the coaching change. That yeah. they'll probably go all in all in with Zubats as a starter and, and re-sign Morris. Uh, yeah, so we'll they could the end up under the tax if they did something with Magruder at that point. Yeah, I mean, they'd still need something at backup center. I mean, unless they think uh, Fiando Kevin-Gale can step into that role, which... Eh, Maybe he could. I don't know. I, I would would not bet on that at this point. You you don't like him? Just the 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 G League performance and yeah yeah I I mean I was I thought it was a reasonable pick at the time so I'm not gonna like totally dump on it now but yeah he did not have an impressive rookie year. Uh, so here's another one for you. And it's rare that we would have a player who is, hasn't even technically started his rookie scale extension yet here, but Buddy Heald clearly wants out of Sacramento. (laughs) Yeah. The financial considerations are not as big there because they've still, uh, got about 10 million under the tax. If, uh, even if they re-signed Bogdanovich for a reasonable number, um, they opened up some space there uh, with the moves that they made at the trade deadline getting off of Deadman. But uh, is there a destination for Buddy Heald? I mean, just dumping him. Well, let me, let's start with this. This is probably a good way to frame this conversation. Buddy Heald is worth how much per year over the next four years to you? Uh... 14 million okay so he's making about 21 or so declining salary he starts pretty high he goes down throughout the life of that so that's not that awful it's to not move, an atrocious right? contract yeah that that wasn't that wasn't a scientific 14 million that was me you know doing this 14 million but yeah I mean, yeah, but it's, I, it's I agree a, with you it's I a bad contract right. but it's not it's not horrendous horrendous yeah, he's a, a starter potentially on a bad team, but probably has to come off the bench on a good team because of his defense. Yeah, and then I think the other thing is he probably appears more valuable if you put him in a better position to succeed. Like having him run 50 pick and rolls with the second unit every game because you don't want to run anything through Corey Joseph uh, is is not the optimal usage for him, right? No, I, I that that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I agree there. So, you know, that's, I mean, so you're talking about essentially, you know, $40 million. No, probably not even that. Maybe $30 million out of his 86. That's kind of dead money, you know? So yeah. is that, if they attached a first round pick to him, could they get an expiring contract for him this year? I think he, they probably could. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's some uh-huh. teams that could talk themselves into his skill set. Uh, I was actually floating him the other day as a possibility in Memphis. Interesting one in Memphis. Um, I I actually wonder a little bit if they can accommodate his... I mean, how do they accommodate his number? Um, yeah, it would have to be like Jang in the deal, maybe Kyle Anderson as yeah. well. But, but it yeah. just, it vaporizes their 21 cap space. Yeah, which, I mean, then they can't get Giannis. Um, the, uh, the, <laughs> what, he's not coming? Um, 
Then uh, I think the other one where you where you wonder about the fit would be Atlanta because they they could take that contract lickety split right with all the cap room they have and yeah. uh, they they need more threats around Trey Young uh, obviously won't help their defense any but uh, the, their wings really struggled to give them a lift last year and having that shooting around Trey I think would be really potent. A um, couple other guys, uh, JaVale McGee, I think is someone that the Lakers might want to try to move on from, particularly so they can open up some more space for their exceptions. Just to have him at $4 million doesn't make a ton of sense. To me, he's clearly going to opt in, I would think, to his $4 million. I, I do option. think he probably opts in, although, I mean, he was pretty good this year. Um, like, it wouldn't be crazy to opt out. It just seems like there's not a lot of ceiling in him opting out because he's a, you know, he's a random center and random centers don't get paid anymore. Uh, so, because uh, it's not 2016. Uh, so, uh, I, I think you're probably right there. Uh, although, if Dwight doesn't come back, maybe they just keep JaVale. Yeah, that's a good point. The, that next year's team may not have Dwight Howard on it. Um, you mentioned Kevon Looney in Golden State and uh, Robin Lopez, Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, with their, they're so close to the tax line. If they want to bring in any more help, he's kind of the guy that has to go. Well, now, uh, apparently ownership has assured Giannis that they will pay the tax. Although my guess would be they're going to pay like, you know, they'll be like $3 million into the tax or something like that. Or maybe, yeah. maybe they'll even use the mid-level so they're hard capped at six million dollars above the tax and there's only so much that they can do right like that'll be their excuse for not not going in deeper yeah and again the other option milwaukee has is not just dumping rollo it's putting him and that that pick at 24 in a trade and and try to get another player so we could wrap up here. We'll, we'll do just a straight Q&A uh, starting in just a second here. But no conversation about dumping salary would be complete without the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> oh, not at all. Not at all. Al Horford would, would be the main one, right? So they've got they've got nine players under contract for next year and already are $17 million into the tax, tax payment of $38 million, total team salary $189,000 or $189 million. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, like Mike Scott, for example, at $5 million, Zaire Smith at $3 million. I mean, those guys, those guys have got to be gone, right? You would think so, yeah. And you wonder if that's part of, they have four second round picks in this draft, including two in the 30s. You know, will they, does, does the 36 Sixth pick get you to take, you know, will somebody be persuaded to take pick 36 and take Mike Scott? I mean, that's buying the pick for 5 million. That's like kind of in line with what teams have paid, right? So um, is, is, is that something that we could see? Um, yeah, just as Sam Hinkie envisioned, right? Let's uh, acquire all these second round picks so we can <laughs> uh, pay these guys the rookie minimum and save luxury tax money on a 48 win team. Right? Yeah, that, that, exactly. Finally, his vision has come uh, full circle. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously they made some mistakes building this this team, and now I mean that Horford one is interesting because he's not a bad player, but they're paying him for an eighteen minute role basically, and it's twenty seven million a year. Like you can't you can't do that in the front court. There's just not enough left to fill out the rest of your positions. And what you really want to do is be able to trade big for small with him, and you just wonder where the opportunities are going to be to do that. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich. Thanks to Dave's killer 
bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store all right let's uh let's finish up here we got about 20 minutes left or so let's uh let's just uh go straight q a here let's take some questions so uh, here's the uh, first question on the uh twitch sports feed when will next season start any word and uh, i guess we can just do our own our best guesses based on the reporting as well so the official line now is is martin luther king day and i i do think they're going to try a little harder to stick to this one the league has always owned mlk day i think they've seen that pushing too far into summer doesn't really work and i i think they know too that like there was this hope of like being able to push back push back and get more fans and seats and now i think there's the reality of like no matter what that like they're only going to be able to do so much next year if they're if you're going to have any kind of winter season at all in sports like you're probably not going to have that many butts and seats and you just need to deal with that uh so i think the inclination right now is to try mlk and get on with it and it's funny because i had i had heard mlk a while back even when the league was trying to do like december one and 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 then christmas and it's just such a natural jumping off point for the league i mean that's really when the nfl is winding down that's a holiday that the league has always owned uh obviously with all the uh uh, things that went on this year and the league's commitment to Black Lives Matter. I mean, it would fit right in with that. So I do think there's going to be a little more commitment to this MLK date than there was to uh, the last couple. Uh, still could go into February. I still hear people talking about that. Uh, I'm I'm willing to bet on MLK this time, though. Interesting. Yeah. And reporting that free agency is projected to start no later than December 1st now from your athletic colleague, Sham Sharania. So that's that's encouraging, at least uh, that, uh, you know, they hope to get everything negotiated in time for that, what the cap and the tax are going to be and what the the revenue sharing, the escrow are going to be. All that presumably will be negotiated by the time they get into free agency. Well, and really, they need to have it before the draft, I think, is the other thing. It gives, right? Oh, sure. You have it done before the draft and then it gives everyone two weeks to tamper before December. Oh, wait, did I say that out loud? Um it gives everyone time before December first to I'm sorry plan for the uh, for for what the new uh, cap situation is going to be before they jump into free agency. Yeah, so so I mean that that's a, you you talk to more people around the league than I do, so that's uh, yeah that'd be what like January twentieth or something for uh, for starting. Yeah, yeah, we are going to miss Christmas basketball. Saw, saw that question. Uh, Blazers question: Are they locked into their roster for next season? Says uh, be weird, dude. Well, I guess what do you mean locked? into their roster are they locked into Lillard McCollum Nurkic yeah sure um but I mean they still have some decisions to make in terms of white side and how they would use their mid-level and whether they really want to pay tax next year uh so there there's still a lot of moving parts there 
Uh, but they have what I'm looking here. They have 10 players under contract. They'll get another in the first round. Like I, I guess I don't see them as big movers and shakers because they kind of don't have the salaries to do a whole bunch. Uh, they don't have a lot of those like middle class numbers. The guys who make between like six and fifteen million, where, where you're really going to be able to uh, put trades together with them, uh, except for Nurkic, who is a guy you, you want to keep. So Whiteside's probably the biggest question. You know, is there something they could do there with a sign and trade, or is he just going to be gone? Uh, and then if so, how are they going to use their exception money? Yeah. So what do you project them to do with Trevor Ariza and his non guaranteed? I think I think they're going to bring him back. I think uh, I mean they owe him some money either way, and using their mid level to replace him when they could just have him on the team and use their mid level if Whiteside leaves. I I I guess I just don't see the point on that. And it did seem like they really valued him last year too. So I I do think he's going to be back at that twelve point eight. And then you know in season that also gives you a little more flexibility. Where now there's a contract you can do something with uh, if you get to the point in the season where where a really good deal comes onto your table. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, Carmelo, if they want to bring him back, that'll be an interesting question as well of like, does he expect to start at the four and Ariza at the three? I mean, to me, their best group would be Trent at the three and Ariza at the four. And I think that could be a really, really good starting unit if Gary Trent can continue to shoot the ball. Well, and are they going to try to are they going to try to force Collins at the four again? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing they seem committed to, right? Yeah. So uh, let's see here. Do you guys see Paul George being traded this offseason? No. All right. That was an easy one. (laughs) No, I I, I don't either, (laughs) particularly. I'll backtrack. Paul and Kawhi can both opt out after next season, but they came there as a package deal. So unless Kawhi went to their front office and said, hey, you know, I'm not really feeling this partnership with Paul George, unless that happened, like, I don't think there's any chance they trade Paul George. I agree. And, and someone said in the chat that it's not a good fit with Paul George. I, I respectfully disagree with that because he can defend and he can shoot the ball. And those sorts yeah. of players can really He's, so, he's anyway. good playing off the ball. He's good off of pin downs and was like a secondary offense for them. He was horrible in the playoffs and, and that was a big part of their demise. Uh, but I, I wonder how much the shoulder was bothering him a little bit. Like I basketball wise i wouldn't be trying to true move paul george right now uh young octopus uh, thanks for being a subscriber uh and by the way if you are an amazon prime subscriber you can subscribe to us for a month uh, for free uh so you can throw us some support uh, with absolutely no cost to yourself uh, if you want to uh so uh young octopus asking uh who should sign mellow if anyone well, I, I think say, he showed he, oh yeah, he ahead, belongs sorry. in the league. Yeah. I would yeah. say Portland, uh, you know, I mean, is he is he worth more than the minimum? I mean, especially as high as his minimum is going to be. His minimum is almost the biannual exception, right? Because he's yeah. 10 plus years of service. So, I, I mean, definitely somebody's going to sign him based off of what he did last year. Is he is he a great player? No, but I think like as a as a either a backup on a good team or a, you know, maybe like a quasi starting 20 minutes guy at the four. Like, I I think that's a decent role for him. Yeah, I definitely think the Blazers should bring him back if he wants to come back and the price is right because uh, they need some, a little bit more supplemental scoring. You know, he can still do a little bit of that ISO game against second units. I just wouldn't want to start him because of his defense, Uh, even though I thought he did actually try more defensively than he had in a few years and he got into better shape in the bubble. We'll see if that holds up. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, any team that could use some scoring on the on the second unit, I think, it could benefit from him to some degree. You know, even a team like Orlando or something, I think, it could benefit from him to just have an inefficient creator, which is better than no creator. That's it. Wow. Or, you know, Orlando is an interesting one because if you're not going to have Jonathan Isaac this year, like Mello on a one year deal kind of makes a little bit of sense. All right. So we're getting a couple here questions. Uh, Shui Sauce, and we got another one uh, about uh, Moot Swang. What should the Wolves do with the, the first pick? And then who's going to draft LaMelo Ball? I'm still trying to recover from those handles. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> well, welcome. It's a, it's a brave new world here. I, I'm pitched on. Uh, I, I hope you nailed the pronunciations. Um, so uh, Minnesota at number one, I think the general perception is that LaMelo Ball is the best talent available. Now, are there some issues here with his potential fit with D'Angelo Russell? Yeah, maybe. I mean, they're both kind of ball in hand point guards and haven't seen too enthusiastic about playing defense but i think because of their heights i do think it's possible for them to play together uh if they can kind of work out uh how how to be comfortable playing off the ball some of the time and so so i don't necessarily see that as a as a deal breaker for them especially at the point they're at which is like they're not trying to refine their chemistry for the run at the championship right now, right? They're just trying to build up enough talent to have a halfway decent team. And until you get to that point, I think I think you don't really worry about fit issues and things like that as much. You're just they're still in talent accumulation phase and they need to continue that. So if I'm in Minnesota shoes, yeah, I pick up my phone, I listen to the trade offers, but at the end of the day I probably just take LaMelo Ball. Yeah, I mean, there's been some reporting that if they don't trade the pick, this is a good one to to talk about here for you. It has been rumored that if they don't trade the pick, they'll take LaMelo Ball. What does that make you think when you hear something like that? Yeah, you just wonder where that's coming from because, you know, it's, it's possible that... I mean, have they made their board internally by now? Yeah, probably. But like, who's who's Gerson Rose is going to tell that to, right? Un- unless it serves some purpose, right? Or, well, the, or unless the purpose it's- being to gin up, uh, yeah, to gin up yeah. trade talks. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing you want to do generally, if you're, it doesn't work as well if you're number one as it does with like maybe a little further down. Uh, you want to blow some smoke about some different names you might take with your pick because the more chances it creates that somebody panics and jumps you to get a, to draft a guy that you don't even want, the better chance that the player you like falls to you. So there's definitely a little gamesmanship there. Um, who do you, uh, Maltrab asks, uh, who do you prefer for the Bulls at four? Uh, among the players who are likely to be available there obviously there hasn't been really a consensus right at the top but uh who do you like for them killian hayes i kind of like him um, man i gotta watch this guy dude i everyone everyone i know loves him uh and I, i've still got two more guys to watch uh and he's one of them among like the top 10 okay or so. okay um you know, I could I could I see I mean there's a few different guys I could see fitting there and working, right? Like, you know, could to Tyrese Halliburton, like could he work there? Yeah, sure. I think I think if you're Chicago, you want to hit on a little more upside. Like you're just not that good right now at any position. So um I would look at that. I would actually look a little at Onyeka Kongwu. Although I mean I know they just drafted Carter and Markinen, and I'm not generally that big on drafting bigs. Um, but I do see some upside with him. Uh but I mean 
But among the most likely scenarios, I mean, Hayes is the guy for me that I think is is probably the best one. But with the Bulls' history, are are they still obligated to take a four year senior here, or are they are they going to go in a different direction now with Karnishevis there? That would certainly be my hope uh, that they would. Well, and just because of their really lack of creators on this team, Hayes, to me, assuming that LaMelo is gone, uh, would make the most sense just in terms of like, yes, this guy has some on-ball ability. You know, that is still the most important skill in the NBA. They've had one of the worst offenses in the NBA the last three years. So Hayes makes more sense than, you know, your kind of more Okoro, Vassal, 3 and D type of guys. Um, where do you stand on Hayes versus Edwards? Uh, I like Edwards a little better. Um, I've, I, I guess I'm assuming he's going to go second. So I, I didn't really include him in the Bulls conversation. Uh, yeah. He'd be like, I would certainly take him at four just because I think his ceiling's really high. Uh, even though I see a lot of Wiggins potential in him too. Uh, but he can, he can score. He's got a great body, great physical tools. Uh, still pretty raw. Motor doesn't always run hot, which is, which is concerning. Uh, I mean, there's definitely weaknesses to pick at if you want to. But I did ceiling wise i mean i think it's he and lamello are are head and shoulders above the rest of the class so if he's still there at four yeah i think you have to take him oh this is an interesting question uh i'm a high school math teacher and basketball coach i started a new class this year called analytics and statistics in sports any interesting ideas for activities or projects um i've i've got one and it is basically just you know create some kind of a scenario where you have to decide which player to sign and tell your students to say hey use analytics to make an argument for why we should sign one of these five players i think think something something like that is is good this is fun because actually one of my best friends is a physics professor who on the side teaches a course uh, on sports analytics at Colgate University, and it's called Sports and the Scientific Method. And what he basically does is tries to teach students the scientific method through sports analytics. Uh, and so uh, projects like the one you just enumerated, Nate, are, there, are like the types of things that that he'll do or you know, you know, what, what is, what is a fair valuation for this player in free agency? Like what price should we go up to if we're team X and we, we have this free agent and then how would we, how do we go about proving that? And then, I mean, you end up getting into a lot of complex areas, right? Cause you're now you're trying to put dollar valuations on player performance and you're trying to project it out. And yeah, like you, you immediately get into a lot of really complex and cool stuff. Um, but at the, at the heart of it, it's like you're just trying to think about things that we usually think about emotionally if we're fans in a much more scientific way. All right. So we got eight minutes left here. Let's do a lightning round. I'm going to set the timer for 60 seconds for each question. Get that right. ready to go here. And let's start with this one. Got a lot of comments here. Let me uh, let me find a question. Who should the Mavs target to help Luca? As uh, it's Scott now. So it's interesting because I think they want to keep their twenty-one cap clear and make a run at Giannis, and if not Giannis, one of the other big free agents in twenty-one. And so that's going to handcuff them a little as far as what they can do this coming off season. Uh, I do think you know we keep saying they need another ball handler around Luca. We I think what we, we you would want to have seen Jalen Brunson 
Brunson healthy in the playoffs and see what that looked like. I do think they probably could do something with DeLon Wright. Like he just didn't fit there. And I think he's a pretty good player and still has some value around the league. But maybe can you parlay him into another player at like the 3-4 spot? Maybe someone with a little more defensive mojo. Um, I I think that's one you'd have to look at a little. Like, um, you know, is there a way? uh, I don't know if this guy's good enough, but like DeLon Wright for Al Farouk Aminu or something. Um, You you know, where you you get yourself a little more stout defensively at at the wings and and up through the four spot especially since Porzingis is going to be playing five more probably next year because you don't have Dwight Powell so that that's the sort of thing I'd maybe be looking at but uh it's going to be tough because you really want to keep the books clean for 21 yeah they only have 25 million in space as it stands now in 21 so if you take on somebody who's even longer than that then you run into some potential issues um you know they could move powell they could move maybe right as well to open up more space there uh let's see here uh what is the best way to project how a player's pick and roll ability will translate from college to the nba on limited data if you've been watching some tyrese halliburton <laughs> film is that is that what this is from so so divine 96 we could we could yeah. Let's take a little longer on this one. Actually, this is a really interesting question. If, I mean, so, uh, if this if if this was easy, the draft would be a lot easier. <laughs> um, you know, there there's so much you're thinking about. I mean, you know, in the immediate, can the player handle the ball and can he read the game? Because the those are two things that, especially the ability to handle. I mean, they improve, but they usually don't improve by leaps and bounds. Um, and reading the game maybe a little more, but. You can sort of tell sometimes if somebody has a Nate feel versus if they versus if they don't. Um, it's like somebody who it's like asking somebody to read and they read just by reading versus somebody who reads by sounding out the words, right? You, you can see a little <laughs> of that, and uh, but it's it's hard because they still fundamentally defend the pick and roll so much differently. Uh, they just do these really soft switches most of the time. There's always a big standing under the rim. Uh, most of the bigs aren't good enough to pick and pop uh so you don't really have that element so it it's really hard you really even if they you know even if synergy says they ran 36 pick and rolls or whatever you you'll watch them and they just won't look anything like an nba pick and roll most of the time so it's a very difficult part of the evaluation and i think you almost are watching their other film to look for clues as to how they might operate in a pick and roll. You know, are there other scenarios where they where they can make the correct read on the defense? Are there other scenarios where they can do different sorts of different sorts of dribbles and manipulate defenders? Because uh, watching college tape for pick and roll uh, is really challenging. So I try to look at as you were noting at the underlying skills. I mean, number one, just can you shoot off the dribble and do you project and be able to shoot off the dribble? I mean, that's that's number one. If you can't bang a three when the defense goes under, you're going to be automatically limited there. Number two is, can you finish at the rim? Uh, you know, I think that's something that you can get a better idea of in college based on a player's athleticism. That's, that's usually a part of players' games that improves the most in their first couple of years in the NBA. But generally, you can get a decent idea for whether they have a feel for finishing their athleticism. Can they extend the ball? Do they have big hands that kind of thing so those are two things to me that you know that's those aren't both technically huge parts of pick and roll play but if you can do those two things you're probably going to be a good enough pick and roll player in my opinion i think you can teach guys to make some of the basic reads against a man-to-man drop coverage that you see on a night-to-night basis in the nba because there's only 
you know, three or four of those. And yeah, maybe the guy wouldn't be a genius, but Russell Westbrook, for example, he's not a natural basketball player, but he became an effective pick and roll player as long as he could shoot it when he was in Oklahoma City. So I think you can kind of build guys up to being good pick and roll players if the ability to draw the defense at the three-point line and finish at the rim are there. Yeah, you it's you need to have a, a good handle as well. I mean, that's a, a, another big part of it. Um, and if they show the ability, like, you know, a Trey Young did in college to just really be an absolute clinician in the pick and roll and find the roll man, that's stuff that I think will show up. But as long as you can shoot it and dribble it and finish at the rim, I think we could make a good pick and roll player out of you at the end. Yeah, I um, think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Right, let's do one more here. Um, let me find one. Final predictions for Game Five. That's a good one to end on. Matt, Matt yeah, th- buckets thirty-two. Okay, I think it will end on a Tyler Hero three-pointer again, uh, and it'll cut the lead to one hundred nine, one hundred four Lakers. <laughs> there are a lot of uh, a lot of Lakers betters who were not happy with that three-pointer that Hero hit at the end. That covered it for the Heat. Uh, based the on the old backdoor cover. Yeah, at, at it's least. a tough way to go. Yeah, I mean, but with no Dragic, I'm just not sure how Miami can score. And yeah, if it ends up being a rock fight again, there are definitely things that Miami could do. They easily could have won game four. I mean, I expect a relatively similar tenor to game four, but I I do think the Lakers have the advantage. I mean, I think Miami has a 35% chance of winning this game. You know, it wouldn't shock me, but obviously in the series, they are uh, running into some more issues uh yeah thanks a lot for all the kind comments in the chat as well that was really a lot of fun um and yeah give us a sub especially if you have amazon prime you and you haven't subscribed to anyone yet you can basically subscribe to us for free and you can uh, support us that way at no cost whatsoever to yourself. We got some great emotes, and we'll talk more next week about some other subscription options uh, at a, a higher tier that we are working on as well. But uh, thanks a lot to Twitch for bringing us in here, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week, exact same time, two thirty Eastern, eleven thirty Pacific. We'll talk to you all then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.